0: Thank you for being here today. Welcome to the Kate T. Benson podcast. My name is Kate T. Benson, and I'm a spiritual teacher. I believe that for the first time in history, enlightenment is available to all of us. I also believe that we can experience a whole lot more good and a whole lot less bad on our way to enlightenment. Finally, I believe that we all want to live our unique potential, that we're all looking for a greater sense of meaning and purpose, and that we're all looking for communities that support our values and enrich our lives. I became a spiritual teacher because of my beliefs and knowing that I could make a difference. And one of the biggest differences that I can make is with respect to my belief that for the first time in history, enlightenment is available to all of us. I came to believe this after enlightenment happened to me. To summarize my experience, nothing could have ever prepared me for it and nothing about my life would ever be the same. So, my focus in today's episode of the Kate T. Benson podcast is on how we can achieve both enlightenment as well as more good and less bad along the way to enlightenment in the same way. And that's by developing flexibility in our identity. So, enlightenment is the experience of universal consciousness, and it is bliss. And personal consciousness is the experience of the ego which is what most of us are having right now. So a lot of good experiences and thoughts and feelings and a lot of not so good thoughts and feelings, like stuff that we wish that we weren't having. So flexibility in our identity begins by gaining some space from this uh, ego-based you know, based, uh, sense of awareness, this personal, the personal consciousness. So jumping right in, What I learned is that we can achieve both enlightenment and more good and less bad along the way to enlightenment in the same way, which is by developing flexibility in our identity. In some of my earlier podcasts, I talked about this as reframing our identity, but I think that developing flexibility is a little bit more helpful as a metaphor. But before I talk about developing flexibility in our identity, I want to give some background on identity. So about identity, um, I went to A&M, and I did a master's in psychology, and my master's thesis was on identity, and it's been a real passion of mine since I was a teenager, and I have read more than my fair share about identity, what it is and how it develops, so I mentioned a few of the key players and major ideas, um, but out of the literally hundreds of thousands of pages that I have read on the nature of identity, The best way that I've come up with to summarize it is that your identity is all the answers that you can come up with to the Cheshire Cat's question to Alice in Alice in Wonderland. You remember that? The Cheshire Cat asks Alice, who are you? And what I've learned after everything I read, super simple one sentence summary is that our identity is the answer or it's all the answers that we can come up with to the Cheshire Cat's question. So, okay, for example, let's say we ask grown-up Alice, who are you? And Alice might say like, oh, who are we? Well, we're a partnered mother, researcher, part-time firefighting stamp collector. So each one of those would be an answer to the Cheshire Cat's question. And all of those things are a part of Alice's identity, meaning that all of them are a part of Alice's sense of self or what it means to Alice to be Alice. And the Shesha Counts question is my favorite summary because it's so simple, but I will still share more about identity from, I'll start with two old, old school psychology folks, uh, William James and Eric Erickson, and then I'll describe uh, one uh, more modern uh, notion, personal brand, and then I'll talk about the eco. So in psychology, the concept of identity and related concepts like the self is first talked about by William James, and this is like the late 1800s. If you've ever heard the phrase stream of consciousness, that's William James who came up with that. So James talked about identity as being made up of two parts. James said that there was the I and the me. And so, the me is the collection of things that we think of as like belonging to us or being ours, like our physical body, our possessions, and think, but also things like our relationships and like our successes and our failures or our sufferings and our joys and all of our memories, meaning that those are all a part of the collection of things that we think of as like belonging to me or being mine. So according to James, the I thinks about all of the me's or the minds and includes them all in your sense of self or your sense of who you are. So like the I will say all these memories. Okay, for me at age five in the park and me at age 25 with a group of friends, they may look like different me's and technically they are different, right? But they all belong to the same I. Meaning even though you're kind of a different person in each of those memories, you're still technically the same person. You're the person who has those memories. Now I, according to James, also has the responsibility of giving each me a feeling of warmth. So for example, if, like, if you think of a memory of a childhood pet, like you feel the warmth of your memory, like the warmth in your heart that comes when you think of that pet. But if you think of a story that you've been told about you, like something from your childhood, one that you don't have a memory of, like some cute story about you playing in a bathtub, even though that story is about you, you don't feel the warmth that you feel when you think of the memory of a childhood pet. And there's no sense of warmth because it's not your memory. Like It's just a story about you. It's not your story. So super simple, one sentence summary, identity according to James, it's just the the collection of stories that we tell ourselves about who we are. And then there's Eric Erickson. So Erickson was another older school psychology folk with a big focus on identity, and this is 1960s. And Erickson said that we're not born who we are, like that our identity is the result of a developmental process. And that developmental process or the idea of the developmental process is that we try on social roles until we find a sense of identity that's like perfectly fitted for us. So if we think about Alice again, who said, I'm a partnered mother researcher, part-time firefighting stamp collector. So each one of those is a social role or a social identity. And each one of those is a choice that Alice made, that Alice identified with. It may have started as an interest, like stamp collecting, or maybe it was a lifelong dream, like being a mom or a researcher. But each one of those is something that Alice had to work at in order to become. Meaning that Alice wasn't born any of those things, but Alice became those things, like through their own hard work and effort, like over time and through this sort of developmental process. And so to say just a little bit more about social roles or social identities, they are kind of like outfits. Like, so for example, Alice would have the firefighter outfit. And so we would try on that outfit to see how it feels for us, how well it fits our sense of who we are. And if we like the outfit, then we keep it. And then when someone asks, who are you? We say, we're a firefighter. And then we would wear the outfit until it doesn't fit right, or it doesn't feel right anymore. So super simple one sentence summary, identity according to Erickson, it's all the answers to the Cheshire Cat's question, who are you? And in our example, grown-up Alice identified like, oh, who are we? Well, we're a partnered mother, researcher, part-time firefighting stamp collector, which means that all of those things are a part of Alice's identity, like that all of those are a part of Alice's sense of self or what it means to Alice to be Alice. There are also ways of thinking about psych- or excuse me, thinking about identity that are outside of psychology and more modern, like personal brand. To say just a little bit about it, um, personal brand is basically like the image that you present to the world. So not so much the social roles that you fill like being a researcher or a stamp collector, but the personal style that you bring when filling those roles, like your personality, your appearance and your communication style. So for example, if you value being a nice person, then being nice is going to be a part of the personal style that you bring to stamp collecting. Like that you'll collect stamps the way that a nice person would. Whatever that means to you in that context. Like, um, for example, maybe it means not hoarding a certain kind of stamp, even though you think it's going to go up in value. Because that's just a part of your sense of what it means to to be nice, like in the context of stamp collecting. And so that's your personal style. And that personal style is going to be present um and and that's that's personal brand like the person your personal brand it's the style with which you collect the stamps uh and if being nice is what you value then yeah being nice will be present in the, the the style with which you collect stamps anyway okay i also want to talk a little bit about the ego so the ego is, it's a little complicated at first, but y'all have a sense of self, like a sense of who you are. And like Alice, this sense of who you are, it's made up of your answers to the Cheshire Cat's question. All these stories that you tell about who you are and your super simple one sentence summaries for them. So like for Alice, the super simple one sentence summary is I'm a partnered mother, researcher, part-time firefighting stamp collector. And then there's all the stories that Alice tells for how she became a partnered mother researcher, part-time firefighting stamp collector, right? Like each one of those has at least one story for how that came about. And when we put all that together, that's Alice's life story. So like when you go to apply for, if you applied for college, right? Then we use that story to write our personal statement. Just like we use that story to make sense of ourselves and our lives. So yeah, um, all those are answers to the Cheshire Cat's question, and the story that you tell about all of those, that's your identity. Well, okay, so that's part of your identity, and it's actually the simplest part, um, and that part of your identity was made by the ego. So the ego is where we get our story. And all the answers that we have the Cheshire Cat's question and the stories that we tell about our those answers, that's our personal story or our ego-based storyline. And you can actually hear this, like the ego coming up with this ego-based storyline as the incessant monologue that's in your head all day long. All right. So you know the incessant monologue, right? Sounds something like, I'm better than so-and-so, I'm smarter than he is, I'm not as good as they are, I'm not as good as I should be and on and on it goes. Well, the reason for the monologue is that the ego is basically doing what a whale does with echolocation. So that echolocation is like when a whale uses sound waves, it bounces sound waves off nearby objects to know where it is in the water. And that's basically what the ego is doing with the incessant monologue in your head. It's just bouncing these comparative statements off of you and everything around you, like to know where it is and to maintain its sense of itself. Like I'm better than so-and-so, I'm smarter than he is, I'm not as good as they are, I'm not as good as I should be. All of those are just comparative statements. And the ego is just trying to figure out who am I and how am I by bouncing these comparative statements off of everything and everyone around it and that's what you hear all day long as the incessant monologue in your head or what James called the stream of consciousness so the reason that your ego cares about your ego-based storyline is that that's how it maintains its sense of itself because so the thing is the ego isn't anything in and of itself like it's just the ego Just generating a sense of who it is and how it is by comparing you to everything and everyone around you. And not not only is the ego not anything in and of itself, but like when it comes to our ego based storyline, like our personal story that we write, the personal statement, the one that we use to make sense of who we are in our lives, the ego doesn't care about it. The ego is pretty much like a pez dispenser. So there's a lot of different types of flavors of Pez, right? And the Pez is, but the Pez dispenser doesn't care what kind of flavor of Pez it dispenses. And the ego is totally the same way, but with your ego-based storyline. Like, meaning the ego just wants any ego-based storyline. Like it doesn't care what kind of ego-based storyline it is. It will gladly even take an unhappy ego-based storyline. Because again, the ego isn't anything in and of itself so it needs to compare to everyone and everything around you all day long to generate that storyline and you hear that as an incessant monologue in your head and to you your personal story means so much right <laughs> it's who you are but to the ego it's just a matter of generating any ego based storyline in order to maintain a sense of itself like to be a thing <laughs> Of course, this is your ego, and this is how you maintain your sense of yourself as a person with a story, as a person with a personal consciousness, and your ego does that for you. So super simple one-sentence summary, the ego is the part of us, the part of the mind that comes up with our personal story, our ego-based storyline. And the ego is almost like a creature. Like in fact, that's kind of a helpful way to think about it, like like a creature. Like the ego is this creature suit and we're wearing a creature suit. So stick with me while I try to explain. So your sense of who you are, it's mostly based on your personal story and your personal story or this ego-based storyline, which comes from the ego, that's only a very small part of you. The rest of you, the fullness of who you are, is actually down underneath the ego. Well, it's not necessarily underneath, but anyway. Okay, so there's two metaphors that are helpful for thinking about this. And both metaphors describe things in terms of consciousness, because when we're talking about the ego and our personal story and our sense of who we are, fundamentally, we're talking about consciousness. Because well, it's pretty clear that like without consciousness, like when we're unconscious, there is nothing there. There's no personal identity when you're unconscious, not for you anyway. And so conscious other people who are conscious might be looking at you and thinking, you know, that you still are the identity that they're familiar with, but it's not that's you're not having the experience of, of yourself that way because you're unconscious. So consciousness is the basis for every discussion that we'll, that we'll have about personal identity. Okay. So anyway, so these metaphors, they're about the ocean um, and they may sound a little complicated, but stick with me. And I think they'll actually start to seem pretty easy. So the first one is this idea that universal consciousness is an ocean and that there's only one self. Like, so there's, so there's, there's the ocean, and then there's all of us, and we're all waves on, on the surface of the ocean, like that we think that, and we think that who we are. So there's personal consciousness, which is you as the wave, and then there's universal consciousness, which is the ocean. And all of us are these little personal consciousness waves, right? And we all really believe that the wave is all we are. But, and that's where our thoughts and our feelings and everything, all of that is happening for the wave. It's very specific to the wave. And we all believe that we're just the wave, that that's our our personal identity, but we're actually the entire ocean. Like we're just having the experience from the vantage point of the wave. So it's kind of like the ocean decided to experience itself as a wave like hmm, what would it be like to be this wave right here so if you picture a wave in like the thoughts and feelings and the personal story and all the stuff that we think about that's really important again that's just localized to that wave like you have your wave with your thoughts and feelings and somebody else has their wave with their thoughts and feelings and each of you have your vantage points and you have you might have really different backgrounds and be like that wave doesn't make any sense But fundamentally, we're all just the ocean. So anyway, so that's kind of the idea of the ocean metaphor. Um, And so then there's the Atman Brahman water droplet metaphor. And I'll talk about some other time the whole um, Atman Brahman thing. But I want to show a screenshot of um, just kind of this, the idea of the picture of the water droplet metaphor so that you you can see what I'm talking about. Y'all can see what I'm talking about. So if you'll just give me one second here. Okay, that's what I'm talking about with um the little water droplet and the ocean uh, that it's separate from, or the full body of water that it's separate from. Uh, and so the odd drop the, the the water droplet metaphor is basically the same thing as the wave uh, ocean metaphor, except the droplet is the wave. And the ocean is, you know, still the ocean and you, so in this one, your personal consciousness, you're that little, you're the little droplet, right? And you're the little droplet experiencing itself as separate from the fullness of the ocean of consciousness itself, like experiencing yourself as a separate little droplet, like, oh, I'm just this tiny little droplet, but you're not, you're actually the full thing. Um, you're actually the whole ocean. You just are experiencing things from the vantage point of this tiny little droplet, and so you can think of the ego as like the tension or the creature suit. Like uh, I can't remember what it's called. Like the but the surface tension um, that would hold that little droplet together so that it's actually a droplet. You can think of the ego and the ego as a as this creature suit that's kind of like holding. That little droplet together and so that and that's so the ego is really and that so the ego is really what keeps that little droplet separate from the the fullness of the water and the fullness of the experience of universal consciousness so again so it's like so this is our the the little droplet is our personal consciousness experiencing things from the vantage point of this sort of ego based storyline on this ego is you know generating you know this story and we're experiencing things from the vantage point of this little of this story and it's our ego that keeps us separate from experiencing the fullness of the water which is you know that universal universal consciousness and so what i'm talking about with identity flexibility is this little droplet sort of learning how to unzip its creature suit being like i don't really like the way this suit fits like it's not working for me i want to try on a slightly different suit or i want to go all in and just dive into that water i want to experience enlightenment and bliss and and everything that universal consciousness has to share with me and yeah my goal is to in starting this podcast is to help folks uh, make the choice between the two, you know, so that you can be like, I'm, I'm really into my personal ego-based identity right now, or I'd really like to experience the fullness of universal consciousness, or I want to try on a different uh, suit um, because you know that's what working, that's what that's what I want or what I need right now. But so yeah, so because flexibility in your sense of your identity, like the more flexibility you get in your sense of your identity the whole like a whole things start to seem a whole lot more there's a whole lot more good and a whole lot less bad becomes available like it's just things get easier the thoughts the feelings you don't feel so intimately connected to them you're able to make a lot of choices uh in how you feel and what you think and how you react uh there's real personal freedom And it's, uh, it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful thing. Um, But so, yeah, so as we can, yeah, anyway. Okay, so I could go on, but I won't. All right. So all that said, the focus in today's episode uh, was starting to lay the groundwork for how we can achieve both enlightenment as well as more good and less bad along the way to enlightenment. And we can do that in the same way. And that's by developing flexibility in our identity. And so enlightenment is the experience of universal consciousness and it's bliss and personal consciousness is the experience of the ego which is what most of us are having right now so a lot of good experiences and thoughts and feelings and a lot of like not so good uh thoughts and feelings and stuff that we wish we just kind of weren't having or weren't going through and so flexibility in our identity leads to a lot of freedom And it begins by gaining some space from that ego-based storyline because that's that ego creature suit that's holding that little droplet in separate from the water so today i gave some background for talking about personal and universal consciousness and i introduced this idea of being able to choose between the two by beginning to develop some flexibility in our identity which begins by just gaining some space from our ego-based storyline. And so next week I'm going to introduce and share an actual exercise for developing identity flexibility or for gaining space from your ego-based storyline, Yeah, I'll save that for next week, okay. But so I did talk about a lot today and so I do wanna summarize a little bit. Um, so since the ego and universal consciousness are both part of our identity, like first today I gave some background on identity. So back from the identity, I mentioned that I did my master's at A&M focused on identity and that out of the hundreds of thousands of pages I've read on the nature of identity, the best way I've come up with to summarize it is that your identity is all the answers that you can come up with to the Cheshire Cat's question to Alice in Alice in Wonderland, where the Cheshire Cat asks Alice, who are you? And I suggested that grown-up Alice might say, oh, who are we? Well, we're a partnered mother researcher, part-time firefighting stamp collector. The takeaway being that all of those things, like being a partner, a mother, a researcher, a part-time firefighter, and a stamp collector, that they're all a part of Alice's identity. That each one is a part of Alice's sense of self or what it means to Alice, to be Alice. I also gave a little background on some ways of thinking about identity from psychology and then also from personal brand. So from psychology, your identity, according to William James, Your identity is made up of the I and the me, and a super simple one sentence summary of identity, according to James, is that identity is the collection of stories that we tell ourselves about who we are. And then I talked about Eric Erickson, like a more modern founder, who thought that identity is the result of a developmental process, that we try on social roles until we find a sense of identity that's perfectly fitted just for us. And social roles are Alice's list of being a partnered mother, researcher, part-time firefighting stamp collector. So each one of those is a social role and a super simple one sentence summary of identity. According to Erickson, it's, it, your identity is basically all the answers that you can come up with to the Cheshire Cat's question, who are you? So then I mentioned personal brand, which is a way of thinking about identity from outside of psychology and more modern. And I said that personal brand is not so much the social roles you fill, like being a researcher or a stamp collector, but it's the personal style that you bring when filling those roles. So for instance, perhaps you value being kind. And so being kind would be a part of the personal style that you would bring when filling the social role of being a stamp collector. And I also um, talked about the ego today and said that the ego was a little bit complicated, but that uh, I thought y'all would follow um, me with me just fine. Um, if Once I got through it or into it. Um, so we all have a sense of self, right? A sense of y'all have a sense of self, like a sense of who you are. And like Alice, this sense of who you are is made up of your answers to the Cheshire Cat's question. Like it's all the stories that you tell about who you are and your super simple one sentence summaries for them. So like for Alice, the super simple one sentence summary is the, I'm a partnered mother researcher, part-time firefighting stamp collector. And then all the stories that Alice tells for how she became a partnered mother researcher, part-time firefighting stamp collector. And so each one of those has, because at least each one of those is gonna have at least one story for how it came about. And so when we put all that together, like that's Alice's life story and we all have that. And so like if we, if we applied to college, we use that personal story to write our personal statement and just like we all use that story to make sense of ourselves and our lives like every single day. So yeah, so all the answers to the Cheshire Katz question and the story that you tell about those, that's your personal story. That's your ego based storyline. And you can actually hear this, like the ego coming up with this ego-based storyline as an incessant monologue in your head all day long. It sounds like I'm better than so-and-so, I'm smarter than he is, I'm not as good as they are, I'm not as good as I should be, and so on. And the reason for the monologue is that the ego is basically doing what a whale does with echolocation to know where it is in the water. So for a whale, echolocation is when a whale bounces sound waves off nearby objects to know where it is in the water. And that's what your ego is doing with the incessant monologue in your head. It's just bouncing comparative statements off of you and everything around you to know where it is, to maintain a sense of itself. Like I'm better than so-and-so. I'm smarter than he is. I'm not as good as they are. I'm not as good as I should be. All of those are just comparative statements. And the ego is just trying to figure out. Who am I? How am I? By bouncing these comparative statements off of everything and everyone around me. And that's what y'all hear as that incessant monologue. And the reason that the ego cares about the ego-based storyline is because that's how it maintains its sense of itself. Because the ego isn't anything in and of itself. It's just the ego. Like it's just generating a sense of who it is and how it is by comparing you and everyone to everything around you. And not only is the ego not anything in and of itself, but when it comes to our ego-based storyline, like our personal story, the one that we write our personal statement on, uh, the ego doesn't care about it. It's just like a PEZ dispenser. So there's a lot of different types of flavors of PEZ and the PEZ dispenser doesn't care what flavor of PEZ it dispenses. And the ego is totally the same way, but with your ego-based storyline, meaning that the ego just wants any ego-based storyline. It doesn't care what kind of ego-based storyline it has. I mean, it really doesn't. Like it will even take an unhappy ego-based storyline because it, but it it does so because it isn't anything in and of itself. So it needs to compare to everything and everyone around you all day long to generate that storyline. So that it is something. And you hear that as an incessant monologue in your head. And to you, your personal story means so much, right? Like it's who you are. But to the ego, it's just a matter of generating any ego-based storyline to maintain a sense of itself. Of course, this is your ego, and this is how you maintain your sense of yourself um, as a person, like a personal consciousness. And your ego does that for you. So, super simple one-sentence summary: the ego is the part of us, it's the part of the mind that comes up with our personal story or our ego-based storyline. And the ego is almost like a creature. And I think that's a really helpful way to think about it, to think about the ego like a creature, like the ego is this creature suit and we're wearing a creature suit. And the reason being is that your sense of who you are is mostly based on your personal story and your personal story or your ego-based storyline. And that comes from the ego. But that's only this tiny part of who you are. Like the rest of you, the fullness of who you are is actually the universal consciousness and so that's what brought us into the two metaphors which i think are really helpful for thinking about that and so the two metaphors are you know the ocean the consciousness is an ocean the universal consciousness is the ocean and who we all are as personal consciousnesses is, is are just the waves or we can think about uh like the water droplet metaphor, which is basically the same, except that you're the tiny little droplet separate from the fullness of the ocean of consciousness itself. You're just here experiencing yourself as a personal consciousness, like as a separate little water droplet. I like the water droplet for thinking about what keeps our personal consciousness glued, uh, separate from universal consciousness and for thinking about how the ego is like a creature suit and that what keeps like that we that that little droplet wears and that what keeps our personal consciousness glued to that ego creature suit, which is that ego based storyline. It's our story about who we are. And like, so we believe that that story is who we are. Here's another thing that I forgot to mention that I think I'll talk more about next time, which is just that because the ego functions in comparative statements, this is better than that, it's better than that. Even when you're better than someone else, the ego leaves you feeling like you're still not good enough. And so most all of us walk around with this fundamental sense of ourselves as not being good enough. And it's not your fault. <laughs> the ego does that. Like that's just the, e- it's just the ego. Like that's what the ego does. Um, and that's part of why we wanna you know, gain some flexibility in our identity, you know, by learning how to zip and unzip this creature suit is so that we can step out of that and be like, hey, wait a minute, I'm totally good enough. <laughs> ego, knock it off. Um, Cause it's just, it's just, the ego is not an authority uh, in a position to say, like, it's just, it's nothing. Like it needs those comparisons. It's just an emptiness and it's it's using you for that and you're along for the ride because that's your personal story. Anyway, next week will be very exciting uh, when we talk about how to get some space from our personal story. Anyway, okay, so you can think about that little water droplet as zipping and unzipping its personal story to step in and out of being a personal I, uh, like a personal consciousness and instead being that universal I or the universal consciousness. Or you can... Fully zip your uh, suit and step out entirely, like and experience the universal consciousness. So there's flexibility, and then there's fully stepping out of the suit, and that's enlightenment, and that's like total bliss. Um, But so, yeah, flexibility in the suit that's a whole lot more good and a whole lot less bad along the way to enlightenment. Um, And you get to choose where you, uh, what works for you. Um, Like the more space that we have between us and our ego creature suit, which we get by gaining space between us and our ego based storyline, that's uh, that flexibility and identity that allows us to make choices um, in who we want to be and in what we want to experience, which is really nice to have. Choice is good. So, okay, again, the focus in today's episode of the Kate T. Benson podcast was on how we can achieve both enlightenment as well as more good and less bad along the way to enlightenment, and that we can do that both in the same way, and that's by developing flexibility in our identity. So, enlightenment is the experience of universal consciousness, and it is bliss. And personal consciousness is the experience of the ego, which is what most of us are having right now. So a lot of good experiences and thoughts and feelings, and a lot of not so good experiences and thoughts and feelings, and stuff that we wish that we weren't having. And flexibility in our identity or our ability to choose between personal ego-based consciousness and the bliss of universal consciousness, that begins by gaining space from this ego-based storyline. Okay. That was what I had to share today. And next week, I'll walk through some very specific practices that are surefire ways of generating some space between you and your ego-based storyline or that ego creature suit. Thank you so much for being here today. I really appreciate it. If y'all are curious about me, you can learn more and sign up for my newsletter at katbenson.com. And you can also follow me on Instagram and Twitter at katetbenson and subscribe on YouTube. Thank you so much for your time. I see you. I appreciate you. Until next time. Namaste.